This is Christian Kroll, and you're listening to the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. My name is Christian Kroll, and today we're diving into one of the top chief complaints in the emergency department, headache. To begin, headaches can be divided into primary and secondary disorders, with primary headaches not being caused by an underlying health condition. Thus, many of them are believed to have a genetic etiology. Secondary headaches are caused by an underlying medical condition, such as hypertension, post-traumatic, or meningitis, just to name a few. There's an increasing knowledge of how these two subsets interact and crossover based on their pathophysiology. But for the scope of this episode, we will be focusing on the patients with primary headaches. Now, before we get into our discussion of the drugs used to acutely manage headache in the emergency department, we need to quickly lay the groundwork for the difference in terminology between headaches and migraines, which are both included in the term primary headache. Primary headaches are divided into sub four subcategories, including migraine, tension type, trigeminal, autonomic, and the broad term of other. When thinking of migraines, these can present with or without auras, which are most often visual, but can also be sensory or motor-based. Migraines are usually unilateral, pulsating in nature, and are associated with nausea and or vomiting, photophobia, and or, and or phonophobia. This is compared to tension type headaches that are usually bilateral in nature, non-pulsating, and not associated with nausea and or vomiting. Finally, cluster headaches. These are ones that are short in duration, usually involving ocular pain, congestion, eyelid edema, and the pain is usually ipsilateral to the headache. For the rest of the episode, we'll be focusing on headaches that fall into the migraine or other spectrum. So I'll be using the term headache to reflect both types of headaches. Headaches are one of the most common ED chief complaints. Non-traumatic headache accounts for between 0.5 to 4.5% of ED visits, making them a very common ED presentation. Many of the patients are younger and around two thirds of those patients presenting with headache are female. Of course, our workup for these patients can be quite diverse. We should be looking to see potential secondary causes of this headache, such as stroke, TIA, aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhages, rheumatoid causes like giant cell arthritis or trauma. Additionally, very few of these patients with primary headaches will go on to be admitted. Because of this, providing timely, effective, and safe medication therapy can help reduce the ED length of stay and increase our ED productivity. We can put a wrap on the background content for now. Let's jump into the clinical content. In my experience, it seems that Each ED and each provider approach the treatment of headaches and migraines a little differently. We do have a guideline from 2016 that was published in the American Headache Society that helps to review the pharmacotherapies that are available and utilized within the ED. While there is no class A or must offer therapies that are stated within the guideline, it does offer substantial information about the data behind the therapies that we administer within the emergency department. Additional references that one can use in reference to what guidelines state should be offered to patients within the emergency department include the 2019 ASAP Clinical Policy on Headache, 
large, the large magnitude of different types of review articles that are available. And many hospitals have their own protocols that are widely shared and used. Now, while many of these therapies are done in combination with one another, let's start by breaking down the classes one by one, starting with IV fluids. IV fluids are a mainstay for many of our ED patients. Many times patients with migraines present after having hours of nausea and vomiting and a lack of oral intake because of this. So surely IV fluids are beneficial, right? While there isn't a large amount of data on the subject, a study in 2019 and 2020 both found that fluids didn't change pain scores for patients. Now, does that mean that we stop giving fluids to patients with headaches? Well, not necessarily. We should still be assessing the patient's fluid status on arrival, and if they need fluid, we should be giving them fluid. While we do not see a difference in patients' pain scores, we might get beneficial effects down the road of either preventing other complications, such as AKIs with NSAID use, or maybe the orthostatic hypotension that can happen with some of our dopamine antagonists. So IV fluids, while maybe not showing benefits of pain scores, might be beneficial still. We just haven't studied it yet. The next major class of medications is a large one that has proven time and time again their benefit in treating headaches. This is the dopamine receptor antagonists. The mechanism of dopamine antagonists in headache isn't completely known, but it's thought that there is a hypersensitivity to dopamine in these patients that leads to some of the prodrome effects of a migraine. To streamline this large and powerful medication class, let's break up into three sections, the phenothiazines, the butyrophenones, now I'm going to put metoclopramide in its own class. Let's start with metoclopramide. Metoclopramide or Reglan has been commonly used in the treatment of migraines. I personally like using Reglan upfront in these patients for a few different reasons. First, as I mentioned before, many of these patients presenting to the ED are younger female patients. With this population, Reglan is a good upfront agent based on its historic use in pregnancy and the lack of data supporting congenital abnormality development. So it's a good agent to start with if you don't know if your patient is pregnant or not. Reglan has been studied in a variety of different dosing techniques, including 10 milligrams as once dose to 20 milligrams in IV repeated doses up to a max dose of 80 milligrams. Thankfully, a 2012 study reviewed the efficacy and safety of different doses of metoclopramide. Within the study, there was found to be no difference in efficacy of metoclopramide 10, 20, or 40 milligram doses. There was also no noted difference in safety outcomes between the three doses as well. Speaking of safety, the adverse effects are similar across all the dopamine antagonists, with the main ones being extrapyramidal and sedation effects. It's a fairly common practice to use an anticholinergic like Benadryl or diphenhydramine to blunt the extrapyramidal effects, but specifically with Reglan, a study was done in 2016 that compared the usage of Reglan plus Benadryl to Reglan alone, and there was no difference in extrapyramidal effects between the two groups. It has also been noted that if we slow the infusion of metoclopramide, that less extrapyramidal effects are seen compared to IV push. Because of this, I like to use metoclopramide over 15 minutes or so to prevent any of these potential adverse effects. Overall, Reglan is a quality workhorse for headache management within the ED. The phenothiazines additionally are well utilized in the treatment of headaches within the emergency department. These agents include both procloperazine or compazine and promethazine or phenergan. Compazine has been well documented in the literature for being an effective drug for migraines. Dosing is commonly 10 milligrams with doses as low as 3.5 milligrams being found to be effective. 
Compared to Reglan, higher doses of compazine lead to more adverse effects. And additionally, compared to Reglan, adding adjunctive Benadryl or diphenhydramine with compazine shows benefit in reducing extrapyramidal effects. Promethazine, on the other hand, doesn't have a large amount of data supporting its use and headache. And when it is studied, it's commonly combined with other therapies in studies like sumatriptan or Demerol. So it's hard to work out exactly where it's placed in practices. There was a head-to-head -head comparison that was done off composine versus Phenergan. And while both agents were similarly effective in treating headaches, there was more notable sedation in the Phenergan arm. The butyrophenone classification includes both haloperidol and droperidol. With droperidols come back into practice, I have started to see more droperidol being used for headaches. The initial dose finding studies found that 2.75 milligrams of droperidol produced a similar benefit as 5.5 or 8.25 milligrams did. A 2001 study compared droperidol to composine for benign headaches and found that droperidol at a dose of 2.5 milligrams IV or 5 milligrams IM provided better pain relief but with higher adverse effects compared to composine. Haloperidol has also been studied and has been shown to have beneficial outcomes through a 2015 study that compared Haldol and Reglan and conducted that Haldol is at least as effective as Reglan. The dopamine antagonists show benefit in treating headache. There are multiple options within the class and subclasses, which can help you select and try different agents depending on your patient's needs and presentation. Another major class of medications that are, on, that are used more on the outpatient side are the triptans. The triptans show a high likelihood of efficacy as the number needed to treat is about three for meaningful headache and ED. And they also have a quick time to relief, which is about 30 minutes specifically for sub-Q sumatriptan. This means that they're perfect for headache, right? Give it to the patient in the ED triage area, and then in like 30 minutes, they can leave. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. There are a lot of contraindications and considerations that make triptans difficult to give in ED. These include patients with a history of ischemic heart disease, angina, MI, CDA, uncontrolled hypertension, and many more. With that list, it can be difficult to find a patient that can even get a triptan. Additionally, many of the candidates who would be able to get a triptan already have access to them at home. And by the time they present to the ED, they've already used them, making them not a candidate for their use of the ED. While we don't give a triptan in the ED very often, it is worth noting that if your patient did take a triptan right before their arrival, it might be beneficial to add on an EDSED earlier in practice, as it has been shown that the combination is better than either alone. We can also tag in the ergotamine class of medications onto this triptan. While the triptans have mostly taken over in the vasoconstrictive space, the ergotamines still can be potentially useful in those patients with prolonged attacks or headache recurrence issues. But again, the contraindications and better options that are available make this a rarely thought of or used option. Now, jumping back to NSAIDs, NSAIDs have been widely used in the treatment of migraines with ED. The usual parental agent that has been studied in ED is the standard workhorse, Ketorolac. Now, the document studies have used a higher dose of Ketorolac in the 30 to 60 milligram range compared to other disease states. A 2022 meta-analysis reviewed the usage of Ketorolac in headache and found that it has similar efficacy to Reglan and our phenothiazides. The data isn't there to support NSAID agents being better than our dopamine antagonists, but it can be a great add-on agent for many different types of patients. The next class of medications to consider is the corticosteroids, specifically dexamethasone. Now, dexamethasone has consistently shown that it's not a great agent when it comes to acute pain management for headaches. 
A 2008 meta-analysis of dexamethasone usage in acute severe migraines showed that compared to placebo, dexamethasone didn't have a consistent reduction of pain scores. However, where the money with dexamethasone lies is with its reduction in recurrence of migraine. Dexamethasone showed a number needed to treat only nine patients for the prevention of recurrent migraine within 24 to 72 hours. To me, dexamethasone is the last med to give in the migraine cocktail, but I think we underuse dexamethasone as a like out the door medication that can be given before discharge to prevent recurrent conditions. Now we won't be discussing migraine prophylaxis during this episode, but we will be discussing the usage of valproic acid in acute management of migraines. Now valproate is known to be effective for migraine prophylaxis, but its usage in the acute setting has been a recent topic of interest. Now valproate has been used in a variety of doses, but the most studied and administered doses are between 500 and 1000 milligrams as a one-time dose. A recent meta-analysis was conducted on the usage of valproate in migraines. And while only four studies were included, they found that valproate had comparable pain reduction at one hour compared to our dopamine antagonists, but had worse pain scores at 24 hours. This would make for me val- sodium valproate around a third line agent at its best. Additionally, if valproate works, the question would be if that individual could benefit from continued valproate therapy if they're not on it already, or maybe increasing their dose if they're already on it. Now, however, that's not clearly defined in literature, so it's kind of left left with that question. Now, we couldn't have an ED topic review without bringing up ketamine, could we? Now, compared to other areas of ketamine utilization, migraine usage has very sparse data for the usage of ketamine. Within its usage in the ED, there has been conflicting results on its impact on pain scores compared to placebo. There's also been a variety of dosing tactics that have been attempted, including our normal pain dose of ketamine at 0.2 to 0.3 milligrams per kg, as well as a continuous infusion of ketamine. Adverse effects with ketamine have also been noted at a decent rate, but this could be mostly from using ketamine as like an IV push compared to like a short, short duration that uh, short infusion duration that we normally do for pain management. Overall, the usage of ketamine for migraine seems a bit too early for standard practice, but it does look like a great area for expansion of research. The last therapeutic option we'll discuss for ED management of headache is magnesium. Magnesium has been proposed to be beneficial in headache through its impact on a wide spectrum of receptors, including serotonin, nitric oxide, and NDMA receptors, just to name a few. There's also been data out there stating that over 50% of individuals that present with migraines have low magnesium at presentation. With this, it's important that if one is to use magnesium for migraines, that we run it in quickly to get those concentrations up high so that we stimulate these receptors at a dose of either like one or two grams over 20 minutes or so. Historically, magnesium hasn't shown a clear benefit over dopamine antagonists, but there ha- and there has been data suggesting that magnesium alongside metoclopramide might worsen patient outcomes due to excessive vasodilation. Now, recently, the Maygrain study was published in 2021 that compared the outcomes of magnesium, metoclopramide, and prochlorperazine's usage in magnesium in migraines. Within the study, magnesium was found to be not inferior at 30 minutes for pain scores compared to the other two. Magnesium also showed minimal adverse effects within the study as well. With the data around magnesium, I see it as a decent adjunctive agent that could be used for headaches, but it probably won't end up saving the day for many different types of patients. Overall, we have a lot of agents that we can use in the treatment of migraines, which is a blessing, but can also make it difficult when asked the question, well, this one didn't work, so what's next? It's great that we have stock going right for the opioid for headaches, 
which by the guidelines recommend against going for it as first line because of the higher likelihood of repeated ED visits and promotion of chronic migraines for opioid use. And if we are looking to use an opioid, maybe it's beneficial to use an opioid combo like a oxycodone, acetaminophen, or hydrocodone, acetaminophen. So you're getting multiple different types of pain uh, management through one single pill. Going to the dopamine, dopamine antagonist initially provides effective initial treatment for patients. And there's constantly new information coming out about other adjunctive agents such as magnesium, valproate, ketamine, propofol, and many others. Thank you for listening today. And let's close this episode out with the standard practice of you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in the ED, but whatever you do, make sure you farm so hard. 